that an elephant I'm leaving backpack? it. <laughs> oh, you are. Oh, hi, everyone. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of Small Town Gospel Podcast. I'm Alana, here with Alex. And today we'll be discussing the lessons that small rural churches like ours can take away from the rise and fall of Mars Hill. If uh, you're not quite familiar with the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It is a uh, podcast put out by Christianity Today, and it has been uh, extraordinarily popular and uh, has drawn millions of listeners uh, in America and even around the world, and it's uh, been easily the top uh, religion and spirituality podcast across most platforms and uh, has even been uh, in the top 10 of all podcasts Mm -hmm. Uh, in the United States. And so it is uh, an incredibly um, widely listened to podcast and it uh, follows the, as you can tell from the title, the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church uh, that was based in Seattle, Washington. Yeah, uh, today we just are going to try to look at the episodes that they have been posting. There are more to come. It's a current podcast, so... I think that there are eight or so episodes that are in full length covering the story of the rise and the fall of Mars Hill. But we're just going to kind of break those down and see how they apply to uh, our life as Christians here in small Troy, Montana. Yeah, and uh, among the creator's um, stated reasons for doing it is that uh, they believe, and I, I think it's obvious, that um, while not every case is as well known and certainly not every church is as large as Mars Hill, uh, this tendency uh, of unhealthy, uh, toxic, uh, abusive, manipulative leadership within churches is pretty widespread even in uh, smaller churches. And so we want to... Uh, kind of wrestle through some of these issues and, and consider the ways that the different setting um, makes it truly different and then the ways that even though uh, our situation is so radically different, we still have some very uh, clear parallel lessons to learn. Yeah, so before we get into all of that, I am curious about your familiarity with Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill. Uh, before this podcast, yeah. Uh, so we're we're both Northwest people. So uh, in the general area of of Mars Hill Church, and uh, we're both Reformed ish in our theological uh, thinking, and so that just puts us kind of in the the category <laughs> of of Mars Hill, and so. For me, um, I was a youth pastor at a small uh, church plant in Sandpoint, Idaho, when my thinking about the sovereignty of God and salvation started to change uh, more toward the Reformed end of the spectrum. And uh, at that time, the prominent players sort of in that movement would be fellows like uh, uh, John Piper, Tim Keller, and Mark Driscoll. And so uh, <laughs> for our listeners, if you are familiar with John Piper and Mark Driscoll, you know that uh, there's very little similarity between the two of them as far as <laughs> style, age, personality, uh, but they did both tend to lean uh, pretty strongly and openly um, toward the sovereignty of God and salvation. And so uh, his early sermons there at Mars Hill, uh, I I listened to a decent number of them. And then when I went to seminary, I uh, attended Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, which is just down uh, south on I-5 from Mars Hill's uh, base there in Seattle. And I got to know a decent number of of uh, staff and and pastors from the Mars Hill network, and it was there where I started to uh, hear some of the behind the scenes 
uh, horror stories mm. of uh, things aren't what they seem. And so while I'm hearing those, uh, kind of at the same exact time, Western Seminary did this full-fledged partnership with Mars Hill, and it was really unfortunate timing, yeah. somewhat humorous, to be quite honest, because they, uh, I mean, it was a, it was marketing genius to link up with Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll at that point. Mm-hmm. But um, they got all the billboards and and everything uh, showing this connection just shortly before everything crumbled. Okay. And uh, they quickly scrubbed that marketing campaign, obviously. So, uh, yeah, that that's kind of my familiarity. I I don't think I ever had a phase where Mark was among you know the most influential people um, or writers or preachers in my life but yeah. he did certainly he he was present there in my thinking okay so. <clears throat> yeah for myself uh i was late high school early college in the 2010 to 14 range and uh i was preparing to go to phoenix arizona where there is a mars hill campus and similarly to you, I was uh, just in the beginning stages of forming my own theological thoughts and uh, instead of kind of just basing off of what my family believed. And so I knew people like John Piper and Mark Driscoll were more theologically aligning with what I was uh, just struggling with. And so I did listen to them, and as I went to Phoenix, one of the churches that I uh, thought about attending was Mars Hill. Hmm. And as I asked around, uh, there were just, it was just at that perfect time that things were starting to crumble uh, that I just decided not to, uh, and instead tried other churches in the area. And then as I was getting comfortable in Phoenix, the fall happened and so we kind of had because there was a mars hill campus and people i knew who attended that campus Mm. we i got to see all of this unfold uh and i didn't understand too much of it at the time um but i at least was part of the like I heard about it, I helped friends through it, they began, like, I had a friend who then began coming to church with me after it, so, uh, a little bit of an effect, but nothing Well, it's interesting there, too, because, uh, Mars Hill, of course, folded, and Mark, uh, kind of did his evasive maneuvers Mm -hmm. to get out of the restoration plan that that the leaders of Mars Hill had in mind for him. Uh, And then he planted a new church. In Phoenix. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The the Trinity Church. And um, that's that's been something I've been curious these last few months as these really popular podcasts are being released. Meanwhile, the Trinity Church is still happening. And and, big. And they're they're having services. So I'd be curious what the discussions are like um, within that church. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so that's, that's kind of our familiarity. We're definitely on the, the fringes of of that uh, broader community, but we were, we were aware of the rise and fall as Mm -hmm. it was happening. So now in the, uh, podcast itself, just, uh, a quick uh, rundown for those of you who maybe haven't listened to many episodes yet. The the flow is uh, it's both chronological and topical. Yeah. Of uh, the very first episode is uh, titled with the question "Who killed Mars Hill?" and it's sort of this. They started at the beginning. Uh, started at the end. Excuse me. And then in episode two, they go all the way back to yeah. before Mars Hill started and has kind of been working its way uh, toward the end. While at the same time, each episode uh, kind of has a, a thematic focus yeah. as well. So uh, there have been eight main episodes so far. There have been a couple, I guess, side quests, you could say. Um, one that focused on 
uh, uh, oh man, Josh Harris. Yeah, I um, kissed dating goodbye. Yeah, and I that was um, appropriately titled. I I kissed Christianity goodbye, and uh, there was one much shorter one about uh, kind of breaking the founder's myth or, or yeah. the origin story, as it as it were. So they shared his testimony <clears throat> in a short story and stuff like that. Too. Yeah. So uh, for today, we're going to be uh, focusing pretty much on, on the eight main uh, episodes and uh, kind of interacting with those. So uh, just real briefly, what would you say, um, we, we've both listened to all of the episodes that have been released so far, mm-hmm. um, what do you like about <laughs> the show about Uh, the the podcast the first thing i'm gonna say is it is by far the best intro out there (laughs) i love listening to the introduction song with little snippets of uh either driscoll or people talking about driscoll uh it's very well put together and i i would say it's my favorite part of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) um other than that the production is really great I do love that they're pulling from many sources of Christians, non-Christians, those who are directly involved, those who are just theologically smart. Um, I think that they've done their research and they're trying to do their best uh, from their stance to tell the whole story. And they explain really great things that have happened and while also telling the whole story of the rise and the fall. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, if, if a podcast could ever be art, uh, this one would be. So, so the way that it's put together, I, I cannot imagine the budget they're working with and how many people are involved in sewing the audio together, uh, in the way that it is. So it's just incredibly well done, um, simply on a technical side of things. And then as you said, yeah, the... Uh, he didn't make one or two phone calls and then yeah. throw together a podcast. It, it's like this thoroughly researched, um, he, he's done the legwork. Yeah. And so uh, I also appreciated it. I, I was resistant to listening to it for a while. Just honestly, church stuff has uh, kind of beat me down a few times over the years and I, I wasn't sure I could handle it or didn't know if I wanted to go there and it just uh it gets into the mire when there is mire to be gotten into Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh but it does uh it is very fair and and they do a good job of not uh presenting it like how could all these people be so stupid yeah uh like they they show what was so compelling and, and genuinely good yeah that caused it to grow as much as it did. Um, yeah, there were a few testimonies of people that were, I think, like some of the closest people to Mark during that time. And uh, their testimonies are like the Lord changed them during that time. And just stuff like that was really powerful and impactful to me of like true uh, salvation out of this friendship with Mark Driscoll. Yeah. And and things that were even uh, specific to the character of Mark. One example was a, a gal at the church <clears throat> lost her husband or her husband was in some kind of really serious medical emergency. And uh, the Driscolls just said, hey, you can stay with us. Mm-hmm. And so um, hospitality, generosity, yeah. all sorts of things that when you're looking... Uh, for a biblical portrait of a of an elder or a pastor, uh, it would be that. Yeah. And so I I appreciated that the uh, that the podcast um, was honest about the good parts. Yeah. Um, Did you have any pushback from this? Yeah. I so uh, I do not think it was the intent of of the creators of, of the podcast, but. There were a few times where I, I, I think what the creator was trying to do was provide his listeners who might be unfamiliar with ideas or philosophies like complementarianism 
or Calvinism. I think he was trying to say there's this whole stream of thought within Christendom and Mark is a part of this complementary view of the genders or part of this reformed understanding of salvation. Mm-hmm. And this that's the context from which these abuses took place. How it sometimes came across is... I think it could be easy in just a few of these places uh, for someone who wasn't familiar with these ideas to confuse the abuses for the idea itself. Mm -hmm. And so I I wish he he would have done a little bit better job of distinguishing um, between the abuse and the, the core concept. Yeah, the one aspect that I'll piggyback onto that is that there were some moments where in all of that, uh, they slighted, underhand, whatever, uh, some of these theologians that I think very highly of, uh, Mark Dever, John Piper. There were just a few moments where I was like, ooh, man, I think so highly of their teaching, and it's kind of being like slighted or pushed aside or categorized within that. Yeah, put... Yeah put alongside Driscoll in a way that clearly isn't actually yeah. the case. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, overall, it is it is a very fair and even-handed podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think the creators are coming from a, a little bit more progressive uh, perspective than, than we are. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think they're doing their best to be fair, and I, I think the unfairness is the exception rather than mm-hmm. the rule so yeah uh one thing i'll add to that before we move on is we'll talk about it more but there were a few moments where i thought huh i wonder why they're saying that this is a downfall of mark driscoll when i think i agree with what he's saying yeah. uh and we'll get into that more but there were moments where i just disagreed with or I guess disagreed with the way that they presented it more than what I guess the context of what they're saying right yeah yeah so overall uh, I I would say we we would definitely recommend this Um, be aware uh, and they do a good job of giving the little warnings there there's uh, out of the eight episodes I think there's two or three where there, there's a warning at the beginning of the episode saying this gets into some adult content or it gets into some issues involving uh, demon activity or whatever. Mental health. Uh, yeah, that kind of a thing. So uh, with that caveat, um, I, I think if you haven't listened, we, w- we would recommend. Yes, definitely. Uh, so I guess we can start talking about some of the lessons that we took away from these episodes. If you want to start it off. Sure. Uh, so <clears throat> there are certain themes that run through uh, pretty much all of the episodes. And so I, I thought we could kind of hone in on some of the dominant themes of, of this uh, podcast. And so one of the the major ones was uh, everyone's asking the question if if the the abuse of uh, his spiritual authority was so overt that that's the weird thing about this mm-hmm. is like he's on the record very openly saying all of the worst parts yeah um, in in some of my more personal experiences with pastoral abuse it's it's very sneaky and there's two really really different versions of the pastor uh with mark it's uh it was out there right in the open for everyone to see and so uh the question is if he was so obviously this this bully essentially why did people let him get away with it for so long? Mm-hmm. And the one of the theses of the podcast is that uh, the success is used as the justification. Yeah. So, um, man, Mark sent out this awful tweet or Mark said this sexually inappropriate comment or whatever. But then, look, a thousand people got baptized last year. Yeah. And so... Um, people point to the fruit and go, 
well, the root must not be that bad, and we should probably, it, you know, it's kind of a package deal. Um, so Mark's going to be Mark, but um, the fruit is undeniable, so that's uh, justification for, for his behavior. So uh, what would you say, I guess, can that sort of thing happen um, on our scale and in our kind of community? Hmm. Uh, one point that you brought up is that we do see people uh, coming into our church that have never come into our church and changes that are happening uh, even since you've been pastor in our church. And I don't know if it's your style or whatever, but there has been a change in the demographic of our church, the age difference of people coming into our church. Uh, and I think that uh, as you were saying, like it is important for us to look at if that's healthy, why people are coming, stuff like that. Because I think it would be easy, especially in a small town, for uh, there to be an overlook of things that, say, a pastor's doing that can be more manipulative and justified because of growth or people coming in or whatever. Right, yeah. And I... Uh... Just yesterday, so we, we have an incredibly uplifting congregation, and, and Romans just straight out says, outdo one another in showing honor. So, like, we're supposed to do that sort of thing. We're, mm -hmm. we're supposed to publicly recognize and acknowledge and lift up other people yeah. um, and one another especially. And so... Uh, just yesterday, there were a few comments made during our worship service of, man, I, I've never been a part of a church this family-like mm -hmm. or welcoming. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, man, this is so unique in this way or that way. And um, it could be very easy for me, in, the, in that case, to then, like, leverage that um, if I wasn't careful. Mm -hmm. So... That's just one of those things where um, we have to remain accountable to each other and there has to be sort of that um, open door policy of uh, being willing to receive pushback if people start getting the, the impression like, hmm, whatever good is happening here, the leader seems to be using for his own kingdom building. Yeah. I think that it's important. One thing that the show really emphasized was uh, it didn't seem like at the time when Mars Hill was just starting as the home church thing that he was talking about, it didn't seem like his goal was to be a mega church person. In fact, he even slammed some of the big names like Rick Warren for having that. Um, and yet, as time <coughs> went on, they had really healthy church life, great elders, <laughs> And uh, it still got to this point where there are thousands of people big and they're so reliant on this one person for <clears throat> everything. Uh, and with the people that were the closest to Mark, it, they didn't even know it until it was troublesome, right. essentially, that this is what was happening. And so I think it's important to have those checks and balances in your church and in your own personal life so that uh, you're not falling prey to your own pride, I guess. Right, yep. Uh, so an, another related issue that comes up uh, in almost all of these is the issue of narcissism and a lack of accountability. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the trajectories that happened that, that was easy to kind of ignore for a while there at Mars Hill was... Um, they were on the front end of churches being able to use uh, podcasts online yeah. and then uh, video casts. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening is they, they would average over 10,000 views of mm -hmm. these sermon videos. And so um, it, to them, it could very easily seem like, hey, we're just being good stewards of this, this unique opportunity that we have. And so we're going to put resources toward this thing that makes our, our reach uh, yeah. far expand here. And 
you, you can't blame them. Yeah. Uh, why why not put resources that you know goes far beyond your your own church with the message of the gospel? But more and more and more stuff ended up going that direction, which ended up making uh, after some time it's like oh we're not prioritizing actual local church ministry at all now yeah we're 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 promoting his brand yeah there was a story that really hit home in that aspect that stuck with me was they were a group of mark and his uh producers i guess were traveling overseas and they went and spoke at this church and afterwards people were coming up and asking for mark's autograph and as he and his producers got into their vehicle to leave, they were kind of joking and making fun of the fact that these people want his autograph. And in all seriousness, he looked at them and said, don't you know I'm kind of a big deal? And they laughed at that, thinking he was quoting a movie or being sarcastic or whatever. Uh, but then they realized, like, no, he truly believes this. And right. so between when he started and now, there's this obvious mental shift that happened where he knew that he was the brand yeah he knew that they were selling him not jesus and all of a sudden his uh film people his producers were like whoa what are we in (laughs) yeah what are we in on (laughs) yeah yeah so this um it it ironically can happen and is perhaps even more uh prone to happen in small small rural communities Mm -hmm. because uh one uh gregarious or magnetic personality can draw everyone in the community to to himself yeah so how can something like narcissism show up in our small rural church I think that's just one of those little areas, uh, as I just mentioned, like one, one personality that just strikes the right chord can definitely uh, build a little mini kingdom. And um, folks from big cities might kind of scoff or roll their eyes about it because uh, it, it truly is mini. But um, for your little community, uh, you can be held in really high esteem mm. and you're sort of a just a local hometown hero of sorts um so i i think uh in our churches uh this can definitely happen uh by virtue of not uh prioritizing the ministry of the entire body to to one another and and it becomes just about the sunday morning presentation or just about the pastor or or whatever and uh so there there's some just basic ecclesiology that that we can do to guard against it thankfully on a smaller scale the solution is easier yeah uh when you get that big i don't even know how you would guard against that sort of um kingdom building thing but but on our scale we there's some pretty simple solutions yeah so my few thoughts are uh pastoral accountability is just as important as uh your sheep's accountability in a sense uh so you always encourage us to have people in our lives that we can be a hundred percent transparent with live the gospel life day in day out with people Um, And I've heard many stories of pastors that say that to their congregation, push that with their congregation, and then just feel that sense of loneliness in their own job. Mm. And I think that's a good setup for disaster. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, just just a really practical way that uh, I try to guard against that, and especially right now, we, we've shared this before, but I'm, I'm a solo elder right now, which is not healthy, and it's not how churches should be, but uh, just one practical way that this priority shows up is last week was really, really busy for me, and I didn't really have time to do this, but my friend uh, Luke Lacey was in town, 
And I, um, on a practical side, I, I should have spent that time doing sermon preparation. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought, he's in town. I need to go spend even just half an hour with him yeah. and get in touch base, get caught up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so it's just those kinds of friendship. Like I, like I say, the, the solution isn't rocket science. Yeah. It's just simply actually having friends and having real conversations about what's truly going on yeah. and, and letting people know, hey, our marriage is, is rocky right now. Natalie and I are struggling or mm-hmm. uh, I feel overwhelmed by um, all the stuff I'm trying to do. And because um, there's spiritual dangers yeah. that, that come along with each one of those things and people simply being aware of them so that they can pray and then check in. It, it truly can be that simple, but you have to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then on that s- a similar level, in the spiritual health of our church and guarding against narcissism, that is where the role of more than one elders uh, comes into play. And as you just said, we are not there. However, you do have your checks and balances so that you don't become power hungry. Yeah. Um, but either not being a solo elder which would be more for our advice or as we've talked about having so many elders that then the head pastor becomes this essentially kingdom idol person as well yeah and he kind of in his own tier yeah above quote-unquote the even if in your written structure of how things work it's not that way yeah functionally that just happens yeah when um when there is kind of one main guy um so yeah and and that that's it's not as easy as it sounds so uh it wasn't too long ago our our church uh lost an elder um and an elder left fairly unexpectedly and abruptly and so i had to walk a line of um it was really important that the church didn't divide over over that Mm -hmm. so we kind of did have to rally the troops and make sure everyone was unified and uh, kind of understand um, some of the potential dangers represented uh, of of this elder that that left while also making sure to not uh, circle the wagons and uh, make anyone an enemy or uh, (laughs) or use the analogy that that mark used in the podcast of uh well he's just a a casualty of war and a body under the bus you know we we can't um talk that way and and so it's there's a fine line uh to walk on these issues once once you get out of the hypothetical and into the actual and the practical um it 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 gets a little bit tricky yeah uh, of how to walk that line yeah, uh, this bus analogy, it was about the direction that the church was headed on and everybody on the bus had to be a team player and on his agenda, essentially. And anybody who wasn't was kicked off the bus. And if you were truly against the agenda, you were ran over and put in the pile of dead bodies on, behind the bus. Uh, and just that mentality of like this shark mentality uh if you're not for me you're dead against me mentality is uh it's narcissistic it's justifying an angry awful situation it's not for the church it's for selfish pleasure Uh, all of these things in this situation were such obvious signs um that we can see now looking back what are the signs that we small town can be looking for yeah and it uh it's probably a lot more subtle um so there was one line in particular at the end of that quote from mark that that was especially chilling because of the way he juxtaposes this when it all costs my way or you're dead on the highway uh attitude and god's grace so he he finishes this whole um, rant by saying and by god's grace there will be a mountain of dead bodies behind the bus by the time we're done and and i'm like by god's grace 
Like, what? What? Um, so I, I think that, uh, it, so um, in all likelihood, someone like me or a small town pastor um, will not come right out and say something with that much bravado. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you notice some sort of self-serving mentality or attitude mixed with uh, Jesus-y or Christian-y lingo, yeah. uh, that would be kind of your yellow flag or maybe red flag of going, of let's, let's check into this. And um, one, of the, one of the dangers of this podcast's popularity is that people will be really quick uh, to assume the worst of their leaders. Um, we, you know, we, we have to be gracious, everyone to everyone else. Like, uh, no one can stand um, uh, the scrutiny of, you know, a demand for perfection. Yeah. So we, ha- we have to uh, practice First Corinthians 13 and, and believe all things and hope all mm-hmm. things while having discernment and seeing um, signs of trouble. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just that kind of mix of... Um, building your own kingdom but but adding uh christian lingo to it would be i think a a sign to look for yeah uh one thing that was really interesting about this podcast is that there definitely were moments even in the audio that was given to us where mark driscoll is saying the right stuff uh he's prevent presenting true information sometimes it's uh vulgar sometimes it's flashy uh sometimes it's presented with gumption and (laughs) some crazy uh analogies but there's obviously uh his time in mars hill did produce fruit yeah um how does that play into this (laughs) Yeah, uh, saying saying the right thing in the wrong way, um, it's it's a unique temptation for people who are in the position of speaking publicly often, mm-hmm. and um, we had a president uh, who did that sort of thing yeah. often, and. Uh, the challenge for a preacher, I'm going to be just totally honest, um, every Sunday I know that there's a subsection of the people I'm speaking to who are bored, disinterested, distracted, preoccupied, whatever. Yeah. And so you have to, um, part of my job in, in a sense is, is to speak in such a way that will try to capture their attention. Yeah. Um, so, so Jesus spoke in provocative ways. He spoke in parables. He, he used analogies specifically with his, the audience that was in front of him in mind. Um, so there's biblical warrant and just old fashioned wisdom in saying, um, out of all the whole spectrum of ways to present this truth, I'm going to try to be thought provoking and creative in how I present it. But boy, (laughs) There's a fine line there, uh, especially for personalities like Marks, mm-hmm. uh, between I'm going to be thought provoking and just being a shock jock. Yeah. And he he definitely veered into shock jock territory, and he even openly said like I I take some of my cues and I learn from uh, kind of like slam comics and, mm-hmm. and like I I read the room it's not like he has a sermon manuscript and he sticks to it it's uh, oh they reacted this way so I'm going to kind of vamp and vibe mm-hmm. with the quote unquote audience yeah. on that so I think as obvious as this is uh, a good check on that would be truly have the text be the guide yeah um, not play into culture or trends or yeah. what people are reacting to. Uh, and I'm, I'm sticking to what, what the passage is saying while thinking like I, I'm not going to present it 
to a Troy Montana group. I'm, I'm not going to use the same kind of illustration as I would in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, so you're thoughtful about who you're talking to while also saying like the goal here is teaching the text, not having a vibe yeah. with, with the congregation. Yeah. Uh, in this topic with throughout the podcast, there were things that even I was attracted to through in his uh, different brand, I guess, of preaching, where it's not super common. I've never even really seen it be super common to talk about things such as uh, sexuality and marriage and manhood and womanhood as uh, blunt as he has. And there, I, I saw the attraction in those moments where it's like, oh yeah, that is really good information that I haven't seen before. And like, why wouldn't somebody speak on it? Um, but then be, it just seemed like in all of that, he saw people's reactions and then took it and just twisted it enough to make it then heresy. Sure. Uh, and I don't, I I don't know if he intentionally tried to do that, but then once he saw it worked, it was like, the bus is rolling this way. <laughs> so Yeah, and it, it reminds me of uh, film franchises where, um, I don't know, Pirates of the Caribbean 1 comes out, and people are kind of like, oh, we really like this kind of quirky pirate guy played by Johnny Depp. And so each subsequent sequel ramps that up yeah. um, to the nth degree to where it's just absolutely absurd and stupid. Yeah. And so uh, I, I think he got this positive feedback of like, oh, we go to church and we talk about real stuff. Uh, everyone has questions about sex and we go to church and actually get answers for those questions. That's a really positive thing. And the Bible itself has those answers. Yeah. But then he, it's like, he became a caricature of himself of like, I am the sex pastor essentially yeah. or fill in the blank. Yeah. And, uh, that's where it became, uh, unhealthy, obviously. And, and he, he kind of got his jollies from the crudeness itself. Yeah. And, uh, everyone has their own style. So I, I was, uh, there was a moment just yesterday. So part of my style, I guess, is like, I, funny thoughts kind of cross my mind while I'm preaching. And sometimes I, I can't help, but just like, okay guys, here's, here's what I was thinking. And there was a moment yesterday where like, as far as my quote unquote, forgive me, brand, um, <laughs> Uh, we were having communion and the the crackers were really, really crunchy. And so it's like, chomp, 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 <laughs> and you could hear it. And, then, you know, we're getting ready to take the juice and it's this really serious, somber moment. And these thoughts kept crossing my brain of like funny little comments to say. And I, I had to decide, no, like, Alex, be a little bit less yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it just... Those moments when you have, when as a preacher you have to choose, you want to be yourself, but you have to choose. It, am I going to make this about myself? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there, there's times, especially there's critical moments like communion where you have to make that decision and, and not go there. Yeah, uh, one of the major topics that we've kind of talked about that they talk about uh, quite a bit in the podcast that Mars Hill focused on quite a bit in their church was uh, male-female interactions, relationships, sex, all of that. Uh, do you want to dive in and explain what it was like and how it applies to us? Right. So, as we talked about before, uh, there, there's just complementarianism, which is simply the, the view of God-given design in gender, marriage, society, church, that uh, men and women are meant to complement each other. They, they, they fit together um, physically, relationally, emotionally, uh, and they fit together exactly because they're different. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, this is a, a pretty widespread view of gender and sexuality and gender roles. 
and um, Mark presented this version of complementarianism that just steered all the way, A, into the macho, bravado, um, manly man thing, which was especially distinct in Seattle. Um, you know, you, you, you're not going to find that kind of guy in Seattle very often. Uh, and then also just this uh, overt and explicitly stated focus on men in, in his ministry. So uh, the he would directly speak to men, um, even in the sermon, way more often than, than he would specifically to the women. And that, that was by choice, believing in kind of this trickle-down effect of, I get these these men to man up in a biblical sense, and he believed that there would be downstream benefits for the women and children of the congregation. Yeah, uh, there were things that he said that I think should be said more often uh, about men taking ownership of their household and being the leader and stuff like that that was healthy, but then he took it and uh, <laughs> made it a little too extra biblical yeah. uh, to the point where even just the pressures he put on women were just so extreme. So I obviously, as I was listening to this section of the podcast, I am a woman. And so I heard it from a woman's lens. And when he does speak to men, he's then implying the woman's role uh, by the way that he is commanding the men to do A, B, C. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was even this moment where they said, if you want to be a member, then men, you have these standards to live by, and women, you have these standards to live by. And some of those standards uh, were like, you absolutely, woman, will not work. You will have kids, you will take care of them, you will stay home if you want to be a member of our church. Mm -hmm. uh, and just those pressures that are extra biblical uh, to me were obvious signs of uh, abuse on yeah. his part as a pastor. Yeah. And that everyone has their own version of going beyond scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have to, we have to guard against that. So um, homeschooling, for instance, is pretty widespread. It's, it's definitely the uh, majority approach to uh, raising children in, in our church. And, there's all sorts of things to commend about homeschooling, but it would be pretty dangerous to then say, like, if you want to be a member here, you have to school your children this way. Yeah. And um, you could apply that to um, alcohol, tobacco, movies, whatever. Yeah. Of just going beyond what scripture actually says. And uh, yeah, it. Um, he, he got into... There was a particularly cringeworthy moment where uh, there was a, a husband and a wife. The wife became a Christian. The husband wasn't yet a Christian and wasn't inter interested in going to church. And uh, she was never and never had been comfortable with a, with a particular um, form of, of intimacy that, that the man wanted. And uh, Mark pretty directly told her, like, you, you need to do that. To win him over to Christ. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> I felt conflicted in that because obviously um, that, that's overstepping his bounds and that's none of his business and it, it's icky, uh, especially for him to then share this illustration for, in a public setting yeah. and on the record. Um, uh, but then at the same time, it, it was one of these little nitpicks I had with the podcast of, uh, I, I think of, um, what scripture itself says in first Corinthians seven, uh, it talks about the, the husband and the wife, the husband's body doesn't belong to him. The wife's body doesn't belong to her. They should have a view of their own body that, my body belongs to my wife and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And there was no effort in the podcast to say, 
here's what Mark said, here's why it crossed the line, and here's how we make that jive with 1 Corinthians 7. It's just like, ooh, doesn't this sound icky? And it is icky. He did cross the line. But um, we we have to figure out a way, if we're going to talk about those kinds of sensitive topics, we have to figure out a way to actually handle passages like this and then and and say what specifically crossed the line yeah and uh to make it applicable to our church we have stuff like this happening in our church like marital relationships that are figuring out the balance of uh this passage and it's on you (laughs) uh to be diligent to like teach us what this passage says and what it means and also to have a finger on the pulse of like what's actually happening in marriages within our church right so uh yeah and i mean man confidentiality would have to be near the very top of the list of what's important there um because uh i don't know of a single marriage uh that doesn't at least from time to time struggle in with these areas and you know, one one person wants this, one person is interested this often, and the other person is, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, like, these are really practical issues, and Scripture does speak to them. Therefore, pastors should speak to them and not avoid these issues. Uh, but there's just a, a level of delicacy, the, the way we're talking right now. Yeah. Um, we can kind of know what we're talking about without being crude. Yeah. And uh, obviously, if it's not on a recording and in the appropriate sort of context, you can get a little bit more specific. But uh, yes, that, that's one of those areas where there's this principle where I, I think Mark was simply communicating the truth of 1 Corinthians 7. Mm-hmm. But then he applied it in very specific, inappropriate, and legalistic ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, it, it, I mean, quite honestly, in, in marriage, it, if there's something that one one uh, spouse is not comfortable with, you shouldn't do it. Like, mm-hmm. that should just be the principle there. Um, and you kind of work through what that means in light of 1 Corinthians 7 as, as a follow-up conversation mm-hmm. to that. And how do you think that this applies when you're preparing sermons? So the way you preach is exegetically through specific passages. And as these things come up, you obviously preach them. How do you go about teaching what you need to teach while also uh, maintaining like a place where kids can sit in, but people are still learning, but you can then have those conversations with people afterwards, stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, we recently went through Second uh, Samuel, and there's um, murder, there's uh, rape, there's adultery, there's pregnancy outside of wedlock. There, I mean, uh, if we were in Portland, we'd have trigger warnings <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and there were a few where uh, we have our entire church family together, as we've talked about in another episode. Um, so there were a few where I sent out a little note of um, this, this is an R-rated passage. Uh, I'd encourage you to have your kids in so that you can have these conversations with them, but be aware. And some, some parents did choose to have their kids stay at home. Uh, so... For instance, if I were going through 1 Corinthians and we got to chapter 7, um, I probably would need to send out a, a little note like that where we will talk about what the Bible talks about here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not going to skirt around it or avoid it. Um, but we also recognize that a sermon can only accomplish so much. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, basically encourage like this is a starting point please have conversations with your family with your spouse with your friends with the congregation mm-hmm. uh, throughout the weeks to come and I, I i think our church is decently healthy in in that area i i wish there was more yeah uh but yeah yeah uh one little tidbit that i'll throw in is that i think it's also important that the elders the role of elders should be to be checking in on families in this aspect more one-on-one than just blasting these stories from the pulpit to get the point across. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, and that that is something that I encourage people. Um, it even a church as small as ours, it can't and shouldn't be just my role to have this intimate of a conversation with with couples. Yeah. Um, but it should be something that um, every couple within a church has another couple yeah. from the church that they have these conversations with. Yep. And if there's trouble to a certain extent, maybe you know there's encouragement to then bring that to the elders, or in this case, to to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah, that's um, one of those areas. That was one of those areas of the podcast where it's like, man, Mark definitely push that too far <clears throat> he definitely gave some bad advice but the solution or or the correction from the podcast also didn't seem particularly helpful so yeah. um, we're trying to think through a good correction there yeah uh so as we start wrapping this up um is there anything else that you can just take from these podcasts and kind of use it as a reflection to uh, look at yourself and either take note as you go forward or see that you need to change? Yeah, I I think one of the things that stood out to me and, and is maybe a unique or distinct risk uh, of abusive or manipulative pastoral behavior in our context is kind of wrapped up in in the beauty of how small our church is so i am your pastor i am danny's pastor i am jacob or sylvia or Mm -hmm. uh, roxy's pastor but we all at the same time are genuinely and truly good and close friends and um, I think that's the way that it should be. I wouldn't want it any other way. But I, at listening to this, it did strike me that um, in the context of friendship, there, there's, a, there's a kind of teasing that happens. There's a kind of, quite honestly, frustration that happens. And even um, you can voice that frustration and it's between peers and it's okay. And it... I did think of some times where in my mind I I was uh, voicing frustration peer to peer, friend to friend um, in a way that I think is okay on that level, but I wasn't fully taking into account the fact that that was just their pastor talking to them yeah. that way. And uh, so I, I'm going to have to keep figuring that out and yeah. wrestling through that. Another just small town rural pastor thing is uh, I do build houses on the side now and uh, people are super generous and eager and willing to help and it even does a lot of really cool opportunities if I, I get to know uh, folks in a unique and, and better way um, working on a job site with them but that it, it's not difficult to see how that could turn manipulative mm-hmm. of I'm your pastor you kind of owe this to me you know that that type of thing and a nearby pastor just uh, half an hour away um, got into some major hot water taking just too many favors on a construction project Um, And, you know, he ended up with an 8,000 square foot house uh, that was basically built and paid for by his congregation. Um, And that's, uh, I look at that and I'm like, man, that's awful. And then I go, well, I've gotten quite a few free man hours on our little projects. Mm -hmm. So uh, where's the line there? Mm -hmm. Um, And and just having open conversations um, about that. But uh, any kind of closing thoughts or uh, wrap-up conclusions on, on your part? Yeah, I think it's just so important for individuals to not only rely on our church, but to also be diligent to just be learning and uh, devoting ourselves to the Word and to learning from people that are not our pastor outside of that uh, throughout the week uh, so that we're diligent to know what the word of the Lord says and we can hold our church accountable to that and ourselves accountable to that. Uh, but also like 
be diligent to be serving your church. Be diligent to be the hands and the feet that your church need. Uh, and Lord willing, prayerfully, with uh, lots of apologizing and correcting along the way, uh, we won't see this major of a breakdown. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's my final thoughts. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. Uh, join us next week. We're going to be looking at and discussing the place, if any, of politics within uh, church and the pulpit. And uh, hope you'll join us for that.